communities, its staff or management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on 89.3 FM WMKV. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good evening, everyone, and it's probably pretty easy to know that I am not Vena Jones-Cox. My name actually is Jerry Fink, and I am uh, past president of Cincinnati RIA. And with me tonight is our guest, uh, Robin Thompson, who is known as the Queen of Rehab. Uh, Robin, you on the line? Yes, I am, Jerry. Thanks Uh, for having me on the show. Of course. How have you been? I'm great. Well, busy buying a lot of properties in this market, that's for sure. Yep, that's for sure. Well, we had to get it up near 90 so you would feel comfortable here today, of course. You know? <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> Robin actually lives in Florida, so she's used to this hot weather. Um, so anyway, we're going to uh, spend this evening, um, the radio show this evening, really talking about more of the selling side. Uh, usually when, when we chat, it's about the actual rehab process. But uh, tonight, actually, we're going to focus more in on the selling process. Um, Robin and I go way back. I, uh, I actually took uh, Robin's boot camp somewhere back around 2002 or 2003 for the first time and have actually been back to visit her again. Uh, she's kind of making a swing through Ohio this week. Uh, she was at the uh, Columbus RIA group last night. Uh, this evening, she will be with the Dayton RIA group. And then tomorrow night, she will be uh, actually here with us at the Cincinnati RIA. So... Uh, welcome to our uh, our state. Good to have you here. That's my that's my pleasure. Well, <laughs> easy driving in between today. Yeah, yeah, it is, isn't it? Well, let's let's just jump right into it here. Um, really, the uh, like we said, we're going to talk about the selling side. So, one one of the questions I think that a lot of people have these days is it is it really possible to sell a rehab fast in this market? And and really, how do you define fast? Well, Jerry, it is feasible, but there are some strict guidelines that everybody needs to follow because obviously this real estate market is very different than anything we've ever seen. Um, You know, I've done over 320 properties now, so I've got quite a bit of experience on the buyers and what their philosophies are and what they're looking for. So uh, you really kind of need to know some of that information or get trained on it. And so today, to really sell a house, it takes three steps. And everybody should get a pen and paper and write these down. The first step is to buy the correct house. And what I mean by that is you need to buy a house where 85% of the young couples, the first-time buyers, would want to live and call home and raise a family. So you don't want a tiny little house. You don't want something in a rough neighborhood uh, because they don't want to raise a family there. So that's the first thing. Uh, Fastest moving house right now is a four-bedroom, two-bath with a garage in an entry-level home. And so the second step is to make the house and renovate it really drop-dead gorgeous. Uh, so there's a lot of bragging rights and bells and whistles on the house because the buyer wants that fancy stuff because most of the buyers today don't have a lot of cash. So they don't have the luxury of, you know, tearing a bathroom apart and putting a new one in after they buy the house. So they really want a home that's maintenance-free, that's got all the major repair items done, and that they're not going to have to put a lot of investment money into it uh, once they buy it. Uh, They'll leverage 100% of what the house is worth or close to it on the purchase, 
the interest rates are nice and low in the fours, the low fours right now, so it makes the payment very uh, palatable. But the issue is they don't want to put a lot of money in. So you've got to renovate it better than you ever have before. And what I recommend to students is you spend about $7,000 more on the sexy wow features to put in the home. And then you need to make sure you advertise how much down they need and how much is it going to cost them a month for the principal interest taxes and insurance. Those are the two figures that most young couples don't know. They do know how much they have in savings, and they know how much they can afford because they've been paying rent, but they don't know if your house meets that criteria or not. And so when you just tell somebody that your home is $84,900, let us say, a buyer doesn't know what that means. So they don't know if they can afford that. They don't know if they have enough money to do that. So your marketing needs to be different than what it's ever been so that you educate the buyer along the way so they know if they can or cannot do the transaction. So it's really those three steps. It's buying a really high-demand house that most buyers would want to live in. It's making it drop-dead gorgeous so it's in the top 1% to 2% of what's out there for sale because there is a lot for sale right now. Right. And then you really want to make sure that you let them know what is it really going to cost them to live there totally and how much do they really need. Mm-hmm. And if you give them all those facts, you can sell rapidly in this marketplace. But if you violate those rules, it could be a tough sell for sure. And what um, what are you seeing these days as far as what is rapid? Well, I have to be honest with you. I just put a house up for sale eight days ago for seventy four nine in my little town. I've had three offers on it, and I'm negotiating one today that is within two thousand dollars of what I want. Uh, the buyer has very high credit scores, and they've got nineteen hundred dollars to put down. And so, you know, if I'm willing to budge a little bit and take, you know, two thousand dollars less and still make sixteen thousand. I'm going to be in and out of that property in about 80 days total. Mm-hmm. And so I mean, you sometimes got to look at it and say, do I want to take a quick nickel or do I want to wait on a slow dime? And I don't think anybody should get hung up on ego for $2,000, that's for sure. Right. You know, uh, I waitressed many years ago, as you know, 15 right. years ago, I was waiting tables at an all-night diner for $100 an evening on average. You know, $16,000 quickly on a house that I didn't have a lot invested in. I only bought it in the 40s. You know, you go ahead and take that profit in. Mm-hmm. Right, right. That's absolutely true. Um, well, we're talking about the right house. Um, I, I know you have a, a whole series of things that you consider uh, obsolete houses or the things that you really don't want to get in. We've got uh, just a couple of minutes here before we take a break. Why don't you touch on just a couple of those things, uh, the things that you okay. avoid? Yeah. Okay. Right now, you need to avoid a small house. And I don't like to buy any property right now that's under 1,200 square feet. Uh, my favorite is the 16, 17, 1800 square foot homes. It's got quite a bit of space uh, because the families today are consolidating because of such a high unemployment rate and because our population is aging uh, with elderly parents and grandparents. The size of the home demand is a little bit bigger in square footage, so that's the first thing. Uh, I don't do much two bedrooms anymore because that's only 15% of the buying population wants that. Mm-hmm. And I want to attract 85% of the buying population, not 15. Right. Um, I make sure the master bedroom is big so that it'll hold a queen size bed, a dresser, an armoire, and a nightstand because all young couples have that furniture. Right. And so that's important to make sure the bedroom of the master lays out perfectly that the furniture makes sense. Uh, I don't buy anything on a busy street, nothing in a war zone. So those are probably the top four. And then most importantly for me right now is I want a house that does have a garage because I'm seeing that the young couples of today, Jerry, all have expensive cars that they have six, $700 car payments on. They don't want to let the, 
that sitting outside in the winter months. Uh, you know, or like yesterday, we had a lot of storms come through and there was a lot of hail. And so yep. they want that car in the garage. And so I've found that a house without a garage actually takes four months longer to sell. And so right. I don't buy any house that doesn't have a garage at this point. All right. All right. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. And welcome back. Um, if uh, anyone out there would like to ask Robin a question, uh, we actually have call-in numbers. We could take uh, questions live. Uh, if you're in the Cincinnati area, you can call 513-772-9658. If you're outside the area, 1-877-772-9658. And again, we uh, can take those calls live and, uh, and get some uh, additional information from Robin. Um, Let's uh, let's go ahead and drop in here a little bit further, Robin. Um, okay. Do you use um, real estate agents to sell your properties? And if so, does it does it really make any difference which agents you use? Well, absolutely, I do use agents, and Jerry, it does matter who. Um, what I can tell you, I typically deal with what's called the top producing selling realtors. There's really two types of realtors: the person that lists. And that's all they do. And then there's the realtor who sells, who puts buyers in their car and does buyer qualifications and runs buyers around. So what I want is the top-selling buyer's agent that, because they've got seven to ten approved buyers that they're working with all the time. And so a top-producing selling realtor, they know the best house on the marketplace. They also know a really good deal when they see it because they're out there showing houses all the time. Right. And so I have two ladies that I've used in the past who have moved a lot of properties. Uh, one does about 60 transactions a year. The other one has done over 100 transactions last year in a down market. And so those two ladies uh, are real movers and shakers. They're real hard workers. And so I give them a 10-day head start. And so what I do is I, when the carpet's being installed and the house is being cleaned and vacuumed, before I'm ready to release it for sale, I let those two top selling realtors see the property. And then if they've got anybody they've already had approved through a mortgage, they're the first one to get in there. And so I reward those two top producers because they know how to get buyers closed and pushed through a mortgage process. They get paid 4.5% on wow. a full price offer. Yep. And Jerry, as you know, and most investors know, is a selling realtor typically is paid 3% from the MLS listings. You know, everything's right. a 6% listing and they get 3 and the listing agent gets 3. Well, in mine, I'm paying them 45 so they're making a whole lot more money on my house than they do anybody else's. Right. And so if they go out and they preview it, my house is rehabbed very beautifully. Uh, it's in the top 1% to 2% of what's for sale. I'll do jacuzzi tubs and body sprays and rain shower heads and all that in my bathrooms. Even in the house, $100,000 and under, they know the buyer's not going to find a better quality product anywhere else. And so they're quick to show it. And so when they bring me someone in who's got good credit and a stable job, it doesn't take very long to get it sold. But again, this is where you got to spend a little bit more to fix it than what everybody else is doing so that your house is better than the rest of the stuff that's your competition. Right. And, and so if you do that, these realtors, they know what to do. And, you know, anybody that sells 50 or 60 houses a year, they know exactly what they got to do to get a buyer to close. Okay. And those are the kind of professionals that you want. Um, somebody who's part-time, so maybe only sells one or two houses a year, somebody that doesn't know the mortgage process, like I had a realtor this week, uh, bring in an offer on one of my houses, and I said, has the buyer been through loan prospect or desktop underwriting? She didn't know what that meant, and that's 
an automated approval process that you can put a buyer through and they can be approved in 15 minutes. Well, she didn't even know what that was. She didn't even know it existed, and it's been out there for six or seven years now. So it's kind of amazing how green some of the new realtors are, and they don't have a clue how to sell. Right. And that's not the typical professional that I want working on, on my properties when they're all fixed up. Right. Now, somebody um, who's just kind of getting into the game, how are they going to find that top producer? Well, and I can tell you, Jerry, if they have a buddy or a friend or a family member who has access to that multiple listing service that the realtors use, they can actually run a search. So let's use the house that I just put up for sale this week. It's a $74,900 house. I had a, a lady I know has access to the MLS, and she sat down at the MLS and said, give me every house that's sold between 65000 and 85000 in that zip code. Uh, and it's a four-bedroom. Give me all the four-bedroom houses that's sold in that zip code between those prices. And I could go through each one of the sales. And when I started going through them, I could see who was selling. The selling realtor's name and office is on that. And so if you go through 100 of those and flip the papers, it's an 80-20 rule. 80% of the houses are moved by 20% of the people. Right. And so when you keep going through and you keep saying the name Lena, 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 you know, after about eight houses in that price range, you realize she's one of the top in that area. And so I call them and have them go take a look at my house and then, you know, let them go ahead and go ahead and start showing it. Right. Right. I, I agree. <laughs> All right. Well, um, either that or, you know, stick their nose in any kind of real estate book or anybody that's doing a lot of marketing and then just start asking a lot of questions. Right. I mean, when you interview realtors, you ask them, how many houses did you sell last year? And how many were to the first-time buyer in the price range of the house you have? I mean, if I'm selling a $75,000 house, I don't want somebody who specializes in $300,000 homes because they just don't don't deal in that clientele. And yep. sometimes you find a really good loan officer, too. They give you good ideas on who the top-selling realtors are. Just ask them who they do the most business with as well, and so they'll let you know. Right. So other than... Uh than marketing through the MLS and, and agents. What what other types of marketing do you do typically? Yeah, one of the greatest things I came up with a long time ago, Jerry, is I develop a flyer, an eight and a half by eleven flyer, and I have it printed up on neon pink paper or green or that fluorescent yellow. And when I write up a flyer about the house, I put in all of the rehabbing that I've done. Like I'll write drop dead gorgeous home, brand new roof, brand new heating, brand new electrical. Uh, designer kitchen with tons of oak cabinetry. You know, I talk about the sinks, the appliances, what I've done in the master bath. So I write up this flyer. It's got all the bells and whistles on it. And then what I do is insert that flyer into the coupon section of my Sunday paper where the supermarket advertisements are. And so I can put 10,000 flyers out into my local paper for a little over $800. Now, I take up one side of the flyer. And what I typically do is sell the back side to either a contractor or a business. So, like my roofing contractor, you know, he's willing to spend $400 for marketing, especially if it's going out to 10,000 homes. Right. And same way with the carpeting company that I use. So, I'll sell those guys each a half-page ad on the back side for $400 each, and that covers the cost of both sides, mine and theirs. And so, I can put 10,000 flyers out into the newspaper on a Sunday for free targeted to the zip code where the house is that I have and to the zip codes where the neighborhoods are tougher, where they would be going into a better school district by buying my house. And so by doing that, uh, the phone rings like crazy. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, so typically if you put 10,000 flyers out, you're going to get 25 or 30 calls from buyers. And so typically when they call, they've already driven past the home. So the flyers really pre-screen the buyers well. So the only ones calling are the ones that really want to get in and see it because they've already, you know, determined from the outside that the house is big enough and it's in the right neighborhood and it's got the right size yard. And so typically if you get 30 phone calls, you usually have three or four approvable buyers and the house is usually gone. So that one works really, really well. Mm-hmm. And I had a year I did 51 houses in one year. I sold more than half of them from the flyer mm-hmm. by using that. So that's a really good tool. And you can do that flyer also to all the realtors in your town. Uh, anywhere you can see to put it, like in a plastic box in the front yard, is another good thing. Right. So I put flyers out all over the place. Right. And I, I know that you um, you also use banners on the houses. Um, that's yep. something that I've done yep. that's been uh, very effective. Yeah. yeah, well, my banners are pink with blue letters. Uh, I've tried to brand everything in pink, including the flyers and my business cards. And uh, the banner, like on the house that I just did, it says, all you need is $895 down to own this drop-dead gorgeous home for $547 per month. And that is principal, taxes, and insurance. That's everything. Mm-hmm. And so that banner is... Um, 60 inches long by 30 inches high. Uh, a banner like that cost me about $75, give or take, a few bucks. And so typically to put one of those on your fence gets a lot of phone calls coming in as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so for me, you know, if I'm going to be busy traveling, because I do speak about 160 days a year, if I'm going to be busy, then I'll have a banner done up with my top-selling realtor's phone number. Oh, okay. Let them go ahead and take all the calls. I really don't care who sells it my office or the realtors as long as somebody does the job quickly i want to get my money back into my business and then turn it around and get it back out into the next profitable deal right. so i turn my money about two and a half times a year right right um let's uh, let's touch just a minute on uh on your trip around uh ohio here you're like i mentioned you were in columbus last night dayton tonight and cincinnati tomorrow night um and then yep. from what i understand you're also um going to be in Columbus this Saturday doing an all-day session. Um, yep. Do you happen to remember off the top of your head where that is? <laughs> I don't have that in front of me. It is at the Ramada Inn. Uh, I believe it is 4300 Sinclair Avenue or Sinclair Road in Columbus. Uh, I'm going to be starting at 9 o'clock in the morning and going till 5. I'm going to go over marketing strategies to get desperate sellers first. Then I'm going to cover the five ways to do a real estate transaction if you have no money to put into it. I'm going to do the nine types of houses to never buy, so everybody's going to know the dogs to stay away from and how to make <laughs> yeah. sure you're picking the best properties that will sell. I'm going to cover contractors and repairs, wild, sexy sizzle features to put in your house. And then last but not least, I'll spend a good hour and 15 minutes on the selling process, and then I'll be done right around 5 o'clock. Okay. And then. Uh, and I'm sure they can go to the Rio website to... Yep. To get the location. Yep, and um, and then you're going to be doing the the same session um, on the twelfth yep. on Saturday the twelfth for us here for uh, Cincinnati and Dayton, um, and I believe that's at the uh, the Marriott at Union Center if I understand correctly. And okay. again, I haven't been told yet where, okay. but I know it is May the twelfth, and it will be from nine to five as well. Nine to five as well, and if you're interested in registering for that one, go to CincinnatiRia.com and you can register there. 
Um, again, if you have a question for Robin or myself, uh, 513-772-9658 in the Cincinnati area or outside the area, one 772 9658 and welcome back to Real Life Real Estate. Uh, this is Jerry Fink standing in for Vena Jones-Cox this evening. And my guest is uh, the queen of rehab, Robin Thompson. Um, we didn't really get into your background a whole lot, Robin, at the beginning, but I know you've been uh, doing this for a few years. You want to just maybe give a, a real quick uh, uh, bio here for us. Well, Jerry, I've been investing for 14 years now. Um, started out, I was working with IBM. They had never, ever laid anybody off in 116 years, and then they went through a massive downsizing at one time. The organization I was in went from 503 people to 275 literally in two weeks. Uh, Real estate was not on the radar 14 years ago for me. I came home one night and saw my neighbors packing up and moving out because IBM set the entire city into a downward financial spiral. the people moved out next door, and the bank foreclosed on the property that was next door to me, and then I watched the prices go from 80000 the whole way down to 39900 and nobody bought it. And I won the property at an auction for 27000 So that was my first investment property. Uh, I had owed 63000 on mine next door, so I wasn't really sure really to be real happy or to really be sick <laughs> yep. in my stomach. Uh, so I wasn't sure if I got the absolute steal of the century or... You know, my property was worth so much less, and I didn't know it. So that was kind of the introduction to real estate. And uh, now, well over 320 properties later, life is a whole lot different. Mm-hmm. Um, my first year, I did six houses. Second year, I did 17. And then my third year, I actually did 51. Uh, and I like the real ugly stuff that needs everything, because when you get it all rehabbed and it's done, it's like selling new construction. Mm-hmm. And so I'm still buying today, 14 years later. You know, I love tearing them apart and putting them back together. So uh, it's always fun. And, you know, so it's nice to take something that nobody loved and turn it around and make it a beautiful home for somebody to have the holidays and all kinds of fun in and for them to raise a family in. So so it's been a very rewarding career change from IBM, I can tell you that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um... Robin and I are, are both what we refer to as recovering uh, accountants. Uh, <laughs> we, uh, <laughs> we have the same background in that area and, and uh, also share that, um, you know, taking the ugly swan and, uh, you know, turning it into the prettiest thing on the on the block. We both enjoy that a lot. Um, let's uh, switch gears here just a little bit. I, I know, you know, we go through, we make these houses absolutely beautiful. Um, we find somebody who's interested in, in, in buying them, but... Mm-hmm. Then we get to that whole um, ordeal of going through, um, you know, all the qualifying and everything, and just to you know be dragged through it for a month, and then and then our buyer not be able to qualify for the loan. How do you um, handle that? And even more than that, how do you keep that from happening in the first place? Okay, it's a control thing, uh, Jerry. To be honest with you, what I've learned over three hundred and twenty properties is somebody's credit is either good enough or it's not. They either make enough money to buy your house or they don't. It's not a mystery. Everybody is qualified the same way out there when they go to apply for a loan. So what I've learned is the first thing that needs to be done before anybody sees one of my little castles is there needs to be a tri-merged credit report run by a loan officer. Not a single bureau. Actually, what's called a tri-merged. A trimers is from all three of the credit bureaus, and that's somebody's entire life story, if you will. 
And so that needs to be done. And then the person needs to turn in a month's worth of recent pay stubs immediately. I mean, right now we're at the beginning of May, so I would want to see all of April's. And so once the person turns in those two things, plus last year's tax returns with all the schedules, a good loan officer can tell you instantly if the buyer's mortgageable for your home or, your, or they're not. And see, that's why I think it's so crazy. You know, typically, you know, a loan officer will do what's called a prequal or a pre-approval, and they won't have all that information. Well, make the buyer turn all of that stuff in immediately and then they can run the ratios and make sure the person can qualify and that the credit's strong enough. So it requires being disciplined enough to demand all that stuff from the buyer right up front. And, Jerry, here's the truth. If somebody really loves your property, they'll do anything to get it. Mm-hmm. That's why if you know they're not willing to turn stuff in, like pay stubs, maybe they're not working. If they're not willing to let you run a credit report on them, it's probably because the credit's bad. So I just make sure that the buyer does all that stuff up front and that the loan officer runs that tri-merged and then he double-checks how much they make to make sure that they can afford the property and that's all done before I let them in. That way it eliminates 70% of the people who cannot qualify for a loan. And I know that probably shocked a lot of your listeners, but that's the facts. 70 to 75% of the American population cannot get a mortgage today because their credit is bruised or... Um, battered. And so you want to make sure that you know you're dealing with the 30% of the population before you get knee-deep in this. Because as you know, Jerry, every day you carry a house, you're paying mortgage, taxes, insurance, lights, water, and sewer, and heating bills. And it adds up quick. So you don't want to take your house off the market and then find out a month from now when the buyer turns your pay stubs in that they never made enough to afford the house. Right. And so we got a lot of young folks out there today with very big car payments and lots of credit card debt. And so when they're in debt like that, it really shrinks the amount that they can afford for a home. And so that's why it's just better to get all your ducks in a row first. Mm-hmm. Now, let's face it, four pay stubs and two bank statements, you know, and a trimerge credit report and a tax return is not difficult to get put together. So, Right. And you... Um I, I know this, so we'll just throw it out there so everybody else knows it as well. You have um, a couple of loan uh, officers, officers that you work with consistently, so they um, mm-hmm. they will actually pull these together for you um, at no or minimal cost because they uh, they do realize that you're going to be sending a lot of business to them. Yeah, no cost is what it is for us. I actually use a lady who is with PNC Mortgage, and she's been a loan officer 23 years. Um, last year she closed a little over 200 loans. Mm-hmm. Most of them first-time buyers with very little money down. So she knows of the special programs that are out there that are no and low money down programs. So she knows what's available. And so uh, all we do is send over a credit request to her with a person's name and social security number and their date of birth and how much they make. And she runs that TriMERS credit report for free. And then she contacts the buyer back directly and lets them know if they can buy or they can't. Mm-hmm. If they can afford the house and they make um, enough and the credit strong enough, then we go ahead and show them the property. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Um, there's always that house that, for one reason or another, just doesn't want to sell. <laughs> you know, okay. I know I've had them. I know you have too. What What do you do in that case? What How do you uh, How do you handle that? Well, Jerry, it's typically not lowering the price because that doesn't do a thing. Right. And everybody should write this down. For every thousand dollars you re- reduce the price of your house, the payment only goes down four dollars. 
Um, what I can tell you, so if you do a $10,000 price reduction, big whoopee, the payment went down 40 bucks. If the person didn't like your house, let's say the payment is 800 a month, they're not going to like your house at 760 So it's typically something else. Um, when I go over the house with a fine-tooth comb, usually it's repairs that I didn't do that I should have done. And that's what I see most investors screw up. Um, they left the old bathroom or they painted kitchen cabinets instead of putting new ones in or the heating system is old-looking but it still works, you know. And uh, usually it's a repair like that that will scare a buyer off. Mm -hmm. And so I want the buyers to be honest with me. I tell them when we go out, you know, hey, tell me what you don't like. What you don't like is more important to me than what you do like. And so usually they'll tell you, well, you know, that heating system, I don't know about that old thing down there. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, we won't ever have the money to fix it. And so it may be working perfectly and may not need replaced right now, but to them they're afraid of that. And they don't have a clue what it's going to cost to replace that. So they just, they don't say anything. They just don't make an offer. So that's usually the first challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, the second challenge I see that most people have when they have a house that won't move is a lack of marketing. You know, they've had it loaded in the MLS and they probably use a realtor who's not one of the top selling. And so what happens is uh, the description that's written is poor, to say the least. I mean, I just worked with a student this morning. He did a $50,000 renovation on a house. Um, he's from Charlotte. And I looked at what the realtor wrote, and it said, totally remodeled home, um, brick house, blah, 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 blah. There was nothing that said what he spent, you know, on on rehab. I mean, he had put gorgeous honey oak cabinets in with quartz countertops with a deep double-bowl sink, a gooseneck faucet, and all brand-new stainless steel appliances. Mm-hmm. Well, the guy didn't write anything in the description about the kitchen. Yep. You know, he didn't say the house was gorgeous. He said it was remodeled. I mean, yeah. most people think a remodeled is, ooh, it was really they, old. And they painted had it. They yeah. bathroom in it, and <laughs> they didn't, yeah. didn't update it. <laughs> right, right. And so, so picking the right realtor, it writes a very gorgeous description about your house, and putting that in the MLS usually helps the showings along, too. Right. Um, a big sign in the front yard is important make sure that you've got plenty of coverage from the street. Uh, I email all the realtors in my city, all 623 of them, the flyer that I told you about earlier. Mm-hmm. And then I will voice blast all my realtors for 12 cents a piece to tell them all about my brand new drop dead gorgeous home that's going up for sale. And I'll list all the amenities. Hey, I have a brand new 1,800 square foot drop dead gorgeous home, designer kitchen with tons of oak cabinets, you know, Pan, you know, butler's pantry, blah blah blah. You know, it's freshly painted, brand new air conditioning, brand new roof, all brand new electrical, uh, wooden mini blinds and all windows. Hey, realtors, check it out. Here it is. And so I can drop that to all 600 realtors for 12 cents a piece. So 72 dollars gets me the benefit of telling all my realtors about the house and to look for the flyer that we emailed to them. And so I want to make sure everybody knows about it. Okay the minute it comes up for sale. And I don't think most investors do that. Right. Uh, they just turn it over to a realtor buddy and hope for the best. And that's, that's not being real proactive on their part. Right. And uh, the, the thing about the, uh, the good descriptions, wherever you're advertising, MLS or on your flyers or anywhere else, uh, I don't think it can be overstated. Um, you know, the, the action words, you know, beautiful, um, you know, the, all the, all those, uh, verbs and adverbs and everything that that really makes people um, want that property. I mean, that's what you're really trying yeah. to do is, is generate that desire. Stunning. Right, right. Um, you know, one of mine is you know walk in and fall in love. Blah 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 blah. That's one of the ones that I use a lot. And uh, yeah, I'm 
Yep, I agree with you. I mean, designer is a good word. Mm-hmm. Stunning, uh, oversized. If you know, oversized, huge backyard. Now, don't lie, but right. you and know, I both know is if you got a good size yard, you should put it in there. Right. Um, yeah, I like the word impeccable. Mm-hmm. Mint, mint, mint. Yeah. My desperate seller's loss is definitely your buyer's gain. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Okay. Um, even the words home is great for no slash low money down financing. That tells all the realtors, hey, the power's on, the water's on, all the utilities are on, and the, you know everything is in good shape. If you say it's good for the no low money down loans, that means the appraiser is going to be picky. So it has a lot of requirements that your house has already met. Mm-hmm. So that's also good to put in there. Okay. All right. Let's take uh, another quick break here, and uh, we'll be back uh, again. If you would like to ask us a question, it's 513-772-9658 in the Cincinnati area or outside the area, 1-877-772-9658. And welcome back to Real Life Real Estate. This is Jerry Fink uh, standing in for Vena Jones-Cox, and my guest this evening is the queen of rehab, Ms. Robin Thompson. Um, Robin, I think... You know, um, one of the things that that I get hit with a lot, you know, people asking um, about these topics is is really um, what it boils down to is a fear of not being able to sell a house. You know, they they've gone through, they figured out, you know, they know how to buy them, uh, how to evaluate them, all that sort of thing. But they're they're held back by the fear of not being able to sell this house. What what. uh, tidbits can you can you offer to, to help uh, help folks get over that well what I would start out with um, with them Jerry is tell them to wholesale a deal first and for those of you on the line that don't know what that means is wholesaling is basically you find a property then you hand it over to a rehabber and let us buy it and then you step out of the process and we just pay you a finder's fee and so there are plenty of cash buyer rehabbers at every REA meeting. That's why it's so critical for them to come out tomorrow night in Cincinnati, because there'll be plenty of them there. And so the easy way to get over the fear of selling is to start out selling to somebody who else is going to rehab it. So you don't have a lot of money in the transaction. And Jerry, you and I both know you can wholesale with as little as a $100 deposit, right. typically. Right. And so that's one way. Once you sell to a rehabber to begin with, then you start to experience little successes with little $5,000 finder fee checks. Little checks help to build self-confidence to the bigger checks. Mm -hmm. And so you also learn what somebody wants. And so that's why I think once you learn what the rehabber wants, and if they want something that you have, you need to pay close attention and watch them fix it up and then watch them put it up for sale and watch what they sell it for. And so that way you know in that specific area where you found the house exactly what the sales price was. Mm-hmm. And so when you see somebody else do it right in front of your nose and you lose the $20,000 that the rehabber made, it kind of makes you scratch your head and go, I don't want to skip that again. <laughs> right. And so I can tell you, I wholesaled a lot of deals and watched a lot of people get very, very wealthy. <laughs> Meanwhile, my gut told me I should, but I was afraid. Once I watched those folks make $20,000 on properties, then I wanted part of that. So... It got me to the point where I got over the fear that way. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Um, talk a little bit about, um, you know, it's it's very important to find the right uh, loan officer who has access and has knowledge of all the appropriate um, financing that's out there, um, especially yep. for first-time home buyers. Uh, that's, that's huge. How, how can someone go about finding 
that type of a, a loan officer who deals with those, you know, those types of programs? Okay. Well, the first thing for me is, Larry, I um, started to spend some time with some REMAX agents early in my career. And so I just asked the top listing realtor and the top selling realtor at REMAX, who do you use? And so they referred me to a loan officer, and then I sat down with her, and so I asked her, um, what kind of loans are your favorite to do? And they'll tell you. And so you want the loan officer who answers, I deal with FHA, first-time programs, uh, stuff like uh, the Nehemiah or the SHIP program, um, or the grant programs. And you want somebody who's dealing with buyers that typically the average size house is 100000 and under for their loan amount. And so the next question you would ask a loan officer is, how many deals do you fund a month? How many loans do you actually make? You want somebody do, that's doing at least eight or nine minimum. You know, my loan officers typically are doing 15 to 20. And so you want somebody that's also been in the business a long time. Mm-hmm. So when you start talking to realtors who sell, you know, 20 or 25, 30 houses a year, you would ask them who's the best, and they know. A real estate closing attorney also would know who the good mortgage brokers are. Uh, that's another great source. A good title company can also tell you which loan officers are moving a lot of closing through their office. And so any of those folks can give you some good insights. Mm-hmm. Um, make sure you deal with somebody that's been in the mortgage business for at least 10 years. You want somebody who's been in this and had staying power in the industry as well. And then you want to make sure that they also are what's called a, a direct endorse, a DE, underwriting office. What that means is the approval is actually done in the building where that loan officer works. Some of the small mortgage companies, Jerry, that don't have an underwriter in their building, they package the mortgage up and then they send it off to another state for approval. That typically means that the person who's going to stamp the yes or no on the loan may not see it for three to four weeks. That's how investors get strung out for six, seven weeks, then finally find out their buyer can't qualify. Whenever the approval person is down the hallway, it speeds that process up very, very fast. And so you want to make sure you deal with a mortgage company that's big enough to have their own underwriter in their building. And so all those things are critical things to ask a loan officer once somebody refers you one. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, the RIA would be another great source. If you came to the RIA and you asked the presidents or vice presidents, they usually can point you in the right direction of a good uh, loan officer. And a lot of times those loan officers are vendors at the local RIA as well. Right. Yeah, especially years ago, we saw a lot of them. And what you were saying about the ones that have had the staying power, um, you know, if we go back to, you know, 2000 to about 2006, um, (laughs) there were a whole lot of loan officers out there. And uh, a lot of them went out of business, you know, in the last five years. Uh, So the ones who have been able to to, uh, hang on through that, they've got something going. You know, they've been able to uh, maintain their businesses and, and in many cases even grow their businesses while everybody else was going out out of business. So I think that's a you know really good point there. Um, I think another thing that uh, that scares people a lot is the whole concept of um, seasoning. Um, mm-hmm. talk, talk a little bit about that because you know most people out there have this impression that you cannot sell a house before depending on what the flavor of the day is um, 180 days or whatever. What what are you seeing right now and how are you, how are you adapting to how those rules change constantly? Well, the rules are really more in our favor now than they've ever been. They've pulled a lot of the seasoning requirements back. Um, 
the only thing that FHA will ask for now, Jerry, is that they'll want two appraisals if you've owned the house a very short time frame, like typically less than 90 days. And so, that you know, if you've done the house correctly where it's renovated um, in a really good, dropped gorgeous condition, then the appraisers are not trying to kill your deal. They're just wanting to make sure that the buyer is paying a fair price. And so what I've seen is the seizing has got repealed and taken away, so they don't have that worry of having to keep it 180 days anymore. Mm-hmm. And typically to buy one and to do twenty or $30,000 worth of renovation to a house, it's tough to get it sold faster in 90 days. And so the seasoning requirement really is not the concern that it used to be. Mm-hmm. Um, the FHA appraisers are just want to make sure that, you know, you it's really a legitimate transaction. It's not somebody just trying to bump the numbers and suck profit out of a house and then plan on walking away from the loan. So if you've done a good job of renovating, the appraisers aren't going to bother you too much. They're just going to come out and make sure everything was done to building code and make sure all the permits were pulled and then your appraisal will sail on through. Yeah. So the seasoning kind of worries have gone away in this marketplace now. Um, you know, it, there was a lot of fraud in our industry a few years ago, sure and was. so that's why the seasoning was put into place. Right, and the, the appraisers, uh, you know, got beat up pretty bad about all that. Oh, yeah. You know, so, you know, what what we see, and I'm sure you see the same thing, is they're, you know, a little skittish. Um, they're not going to give you the, the same type of appraisal that they would have, you know, seven years ago. But, uh, no. But like you said, they're they're trying to do their best, um, you know, to give a good, accurate um, estimate of, of what a house is worth at any point in time. And, you know, if you're ever having two of them and they're, you know, within a couple of percent, um, you're, you're probably good. Um, talk yep. for... Talk well, Jerry, for, it also matters that they really do put the nice wows in the house. Because right. now you give the appraiser the ability to take some pictures and mark down that your house is excellent. Right. In condition, not average. So. Right. You got to help them along there while doing the right thing with the rehab. Yep. Um, maybe talk just a, a couple minutes. I'm I'm sure that most of our listeners are not necessarily uh, familiar with the concept of the desktop underwriter. Um, okay. Could you uh, kind of lay out for them um, exactly what that does? And you know, not that sure. we need to understand the the math that goes into it, but just kind of who uses it and and why we even need to be aware of it. Sure. Desktop underwriting or a loan prospector, and it can be called LP or DU, those are automated computer programs that a loan officer has on their laptop. Now, the beauty of desktop underwriting is if you sit your buyer down in front of them and you bring those pay stubs in and you bring the bank statements and the buyer brings that stuff to the table, uh, as well as their work history and their last year's tax returns, The loan officer can input all that information into that computer and hit process and actually get the buyer approved. Now, not pre-approved, not pre-qualified, 100% approved right there that night. And so, Jerry, let's say a buyer looked at my house today and they fell head over heels in love with it and I could set up an appointment in my office tomorrow with my mortgage broker and get the buyer there. And the buyer brings in those pay stubs, that bank statements, and the uh, tax returns, I can actually have a 100% mortgage approval right. uh, tomorrow night at my conference room table. And so once the buyer's 100% approved, you know your house is selling. And so a lot of realtors don't even know that those programs exist, but the good loan officers have those at their fingertips. And so then you're never taking your house off the market on a maybe it's going to close. Right. And so I require all my buyers to go through direct desktop underwriting because I want to know tomorrow 
that is there a yes? I don't want to take my house off the market and find out a month from now that they can't buy it. And so, you know, somebody's got really strong credit, somebody's got really great job stability, they can stretch a little bit further for a little bit more expensive house going through that program as well. Mm-hmm. And so that's why you really want them to sit down because they can find exactly how high they can go based on their current dead load. And the computer handles all of that automatically. Right. And I think what what is really, really important, what Robin's saying here, is there's a huge difference between pre-approval and approved. Um, and it, it makes all the difference in the world as far as your uh, your stress factor and your hassle factor in, in actually getting the yeah. uh, the people to closing. Um, well, it, Jerry, you know I joke around in class and right. I tell students that pre-approval and pre-qualify equals toilet paper. That's pretty much, um, yeah. I've, I've had buyers pre-qualified and they have 25 missing things on the back page of that pre-qualification. Right. You know, yeah. you know, somebody who was pre-qualified, contingent upon income and asset and credit information. I, I mean, you don't even know at that point if they're working. Right. And so, I mean, some loan officers do not do any due diligence up front. If somebody calls in on the phone and they tell them over the phone how much they make, they do no background checking to make sure they really gave them honest information. And you do not want to take your house off the market on a maybe. Right. And so that's why I make my buyers go through the LPDU process right away because then they're 100% approved and I know my money's coming in on the house. I'm not going to get stuck not getting that $100,000 check right. out of the property. Right. I would like to. That uh, hurts if you don't get it. I'd, I'd like to thank Robin for sharing this time with us this evening. Again, she will be with Dayton Rhea this evening. She will be with Cincinnati Rhea tomorrow night. And thank you for joining us on Real Life Real Estate. <laughs>